Well, you've picked a, a really good Sunday to be here because today we end our journey through the uh, book of Acts. Uh, we've, been, we've spent this entire uh, calendar year walking through this uh, New Testament account of the birth and the growth or the expansion of this thing we call the church. And, and what we've seen is we've seen this start with this person named Jesus. Actually, it starts before we meet this person with Jesus. It starts with the fact that every one of us has a condition, and this condition we call sin. Every one of us. And what that sin has produced in us is it's produced this spiritual death or separation from God. But we know that God so loved the world that He Himself came to earth in the person of Jesus who lived a perfect life, a life without sin, and He died a perfect death, the death that served as the ultimate and final sacrifice for this sin condition. And then he rose from the day, and then he rose from the grave three days later. And Jesus gives this message to a small group of men and women. It's the good news. We call this the gospel about who he is and what he has done so that anyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. That we can be brought from dead, spiritually dead, to alive in him. And there's nothing that we can do to earn this, and there's nothing that you have done that deserves this. You can never be good enough. You simply have to put your faith in Jesus. And he doesn't stop there. When we make this decision, he gives us his spirit. God in the person of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us and continues to point us to who Jesus is to make us more like him and continuing to set us free. And then Jesus sends them out as witnesses on this mission of who he is and what he has done. And they will tell his story to everyone they encounter. And we've seen this unfold in Acts. These witnesses share the message of what Jesus has done all across the known world. And despite persecution and the opposition followers of Jesus encounter, it doesn't slow them down, nor does it stop them. In fact, in some areas of the world, we've seen that this message has spread so rapidly and so many people are saying yes to Jesus, entire economies are being changed and the old system of pagan temple worship is being disrupted. And a man named Paul who once imprisoned and killed Jesus' followers, but now is a follower of Jesus himself, has traveled tens of thousands of miles across much of the known world, sharing the gospel with anyone who would listen. And for the past few weeks, we have, we have tracked with Paul as he willingly goes where he knew he would face very hard times. And as a result, he has been lied about, and falsely accused, he's been beaten, he's been wrongly imprisoned for years. And as we saw last week, now he has been shipwrecked as he was being sent for trial before Caesar and Rome. You could almost say that Paul has been through the valley. Every one of us goes through valleys in our lives and these are times in our lives when 
things are tough and days are dark. And, and this morning, as we read through this last chapter of Acts together, I just want to hit one thing that I believe is probably the most important thing for us to remember when we are in the valley. So let's dig into it. Acts chapter 28, verses 1 through 6. This will be on the screen this morning. After we were brought safely through, so remember they've been shipwrecked. They are trying to get to this island that they've been shipwrecked on. It's been, they've been beached on a sandbar and they're swimming to it. We learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed all of us because it had begun to rain and it was cold. Now, keep in mind, this is the Mediterranean. So when they say it's cold, it's not like the cold we're experiencing today, but it's still like 55 degrees. It's wintertime for them. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice, and you notice that justice is capitalized here, this was one of their gods, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. How nice of them, right? It's like, oh, this guy's going to, just bad things are going to happen to him. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. I mean, after all that Paul has been through up to the point, you talk about insult to injury. He's gathering some wood for the fires that are keeping everyone from being hypothermic. And the bundle of sticks he happens to pick up has a poisonous snake in it that bites him. Just what he needed. Add it to the list. Do you ever notice that when you're in your valley, things seem to compound? Like it never seems to be just one thing. It's usually multiple things that pile on, making your time in the valley even more difficult. And to make matters worse, this group of people from Malta think that this has happened to Paul because he must have deserved it. When you are in the valley, have you ever asked these questions? What have I done to deserve this? Why is this happening to me? Or worse, someone, has someone ever said, you must have done something to cause this to happen to you? Or, or have you ever thought that about somebody else? They must have done something wrong to deserve that. Now, I'm not talking about the cause and effect consequences that come from the decisions we make, like when you get a ticket for speeding, or, or when you develop high blood pressure because of a poor diet, or, or because you got fired because you never just, you just, Stop going to work. <laughs> I'm talking about those bad things that just seem to happen when you have illness or you have loss. You've lost somebody that you love. Or, or you've been laid off due to downsizing. Or you are suffering with anxiety and depression. Or you, uh, you suffered through a hurricane or a storm of some sort. 
When bad things happen to us, we automatically want to find a reason for it or a person to blame. And sometimes, maybe even most times, there simply isn't one. Perhaps the questions we should wrestle with instead are these. How can I see God working in this? I mean, perhaps he's trying to reveal a little more about who he is. What what is God going to do with this or in this? How can I or will God bless others in this? Asking these kinds of questions start to reorient our focus away from ourselves and our circumstance and onto God and what he may be doing. We've looked at these verses in the past, over these past few weeks, but I think it's worth looking at these again. Romans 8, 28 says this, and we know that in all things, say that after me, all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. James 1, 2 through 4 says this, consider pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I don't know about you, but when Wendy and I were first married, we had everything laid out in our lives, like how things were going to go. Like after we finished school, we were going to start a family, and uh, after I got to my last semester of school, we decided that we were going to start trying to have a family, because that was the plan that we had, right? This is the way it's supposed to work out. And it became pretty evident pretty quick that that wasn't going to happen. And after many tests and surgeries and specialists and doctor visits, I'll never forget sitting down with the fertility specialist that we had been working with for years. In that last-ditch effort to try to do something, he basically said, it's just not going to happen. And I remember being crushed by that and thinking, what on earth good can come out of that? Well, this changed our focus because it didn't take our desire to have kids away and so we began to explore the only other option that was really available to us and that was adoption and through a series of unbelievable circumstances that I don't have time to unpack here I can tell you the good that came from it it's my oldest son Mason and if that hadn't happened if we hadn't gone through that circumstance I would not be blessed to have my oldest son Mason nor would I be blessed to have my daughter-in-law, Victoria, nor would I be blessed to have my first grandchild, Magnolia. Which leads me to the one and only point this morning that I hope we will always remember. God is Lord of our valley. God is Lord of our valley. He rules and he is in control of the valleys in our lives. Let's look at what happens next. Acts 28 verse 7. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the islands, Publius, who received us and entertained us 
hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were all about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. You see, word of what Paul had done, or what happened to Paul at that fire with that viper, had spread to the leader of this island. And he invites Paul and those that are traveling with him to come and stay with him. I'm guessing that was far better than living on the beach. And then, this leader's father, who's likely a very old man, and this illness, which, is, which seems simple of just a fever and dysentery, probably would have killed him. The Holy Spirit, through Paul, heals this man, which leads to the rest of the island learning about this healing. And all those who are sick come. And there's this interesting difference in the words that are used here in this text. It first talks about, you know, Publius' father being healed. That's a miraculous thing. But the second, the next verse, verse 9, it says that all of those who came were cured. That is the idea of being medically treated, medically cured. And, and so what's interesting about this, it's not just Paul that's doing this. We know that Luke is traveling with him and that Luke is a doctor. And so God is using both Paul and Luke in, in this to bring healing to the people of this island. Do you see how God works through a snake bite? I mean, Paul's invited to the island leader's home and is well taken care of. Paul is able to meet and by the power of the Holy Spirit heal this leader's father. All those who are sick on the island come and are cured by Luke. And as a result, the other 275 people who have been traveling with Paul now are blessed because these islanders then provide them with everything that they're going to need for the rest of their journey. And can I make just another small assumption? It's not in this passage, so I'm just going to say this is my opinion, but I think it's a pretty safe assumption because this has been Paul's track record through this. I'm guessing with every person that Paul's encountered, he shared Jesus with them. And they've had the opportunity for a much deeper healing. God is still at work in, the, in our valleys, but sometimes we have a hard time seeing it. I wonder, I wonder if Paul wrote this section of Scripture when he was reflecting back on these past few weeks for himself. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 through 13, it says this. He says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound any, in any and every circumstances. I have learned the, the, the secret of facing plenty and hunger, Abundance of need, I can do all things through him. I can do all things through Jesus who strengthens me. One of the way God strengthens us is through the acts of others. A note, an email, a text, a phone call, someone just checking in, a meal that suddenly is provided for you, somebody who prays with you and for you, Someone who comes and spends time with you. Somebody who invites you into their activities and the lives that they're living. 
We experienced this during our years of infertility. People would send us notes. This was the day before texting. Let me just say that. Or they would say kind words to us. We had lots of people praying for us. It was God strengthening us. Remember, God is Lord of our valleys. Verse 11. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had witnessed, that had wintered, wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria, with the twin gods as a figurehead, putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Pudioli. What a fun name, Pudioli. There we found brothers, in other words, other fellow believers that were invited to stay, and, and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. Pudioli was a port for Rome. And the brothers there, when they had heard about us, came as far as the, for, uh, as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. Three taverns. It sounds kind of like a Lord of the Rings thing to me. I don't know, but... On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage... And when we came to Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. You finally, finally, Paul arrives in Rome, and this is something that he has longed for for a long time. Did you catch it? The message of the gospel is already there at Rome. It's already there. There are people who follow Jesus, and so the question is, how in the world did this happen? Well, if you look back at Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, when Peter stands up and the Holy Spirit feels, uh, fills him in order to speak about Jesus to that crowd, among that crowd, it says, were visitors from Rome. And my guess is that those visitors from Rome took this message back with them to Rome. And just like the witnesses that Jesus just as the people that Jesus had, had told the witness, these also shared this good news with everyone they encountered. And it just spread throughout Rome. And in fact, Paul has already written to this group of Jesus followers about two to three years before he's arrived. This letter that he wrote, like most of the letters he wrote, would later become part of our New Testament is the book of Romans. It would have been passed around from house church to house church in Rome and then in the surrounding regions as well. And so they would have known about Paul. So when he arrives, we see people from as far away as 45 miles. That's a two-day walk. Come to greet him. And this encourages Paul. And here's what I want us to see in this this morning. That when we are in our valley... God will provide and surround us with those we need. We, we've talked about this before, and when we are struggling, when we are hurting, or going through the challenges we face in life, we should never try and face those alone. We need others, and God puts others in our life while we're in our valley. Do not 
push them away. Let them encourage you. Lean on them. You are not a burden. I don't know what we would have done in our years of infertility if it had not been for the close relationship that we had with two couples. These two couples walked with us through that valley. They let us talk with them. They listened to us probably more than anybody else has ever listened to us. They let us cry with them. And they continued to pray for us. And they loved on us like we've never been loved on before. Because God knew we needed others to lean on. Remember, God is Lord of our valleys. Verse 17. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had, not done, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of, customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak to you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you and what your views are, for with this regard to this sect, we know that everyone everywhere is spoken against. I mean, Paul takes a huge risk here, and he reaches out to the local Jewish leaders. And I think really for a couple of reasons. One, I think he's trying to feel out, like, what's the temperature in the room? Like, do they know who I am and why I'm here? Like, he's kind of feeling, feeling it out a little bit. But I think there's a deeper reason why Paul does this, and it's because, and he writes this in the letter to the Romans. I think it's because he's got this deep love for the Jewish people, and he wants more than anything for the Jewish people to come to recognize that Jesus is this long-awaited Messiah. And the reason he's come is not to overthrow Rome. It's so much deeper. It's to transform them. It's to save them from their sins. Verse 23. When they had appointed a day for him, so they set a schedule for when they were going to get together, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers, so they brought some friends with them. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets. And there were some convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved and disagreeing among themselves. They departed, get this, they departed after Paul made this one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet. 
Go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, I would heal them. He's talking directly to them. Like this, is, this prophecy is about you. And then he goes on further. Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. And this is very similar to the response the gospel, by, the, by the Jewish people all along to this good news of the gospel. Some believe and others don't. And, and, and really, I think Paul just kind of wants to end this disagreement that's happening between them. And so he kind of does this drop the mic moment where he just basically quotes this passage from Isaiah, pointing it directly at them. And then he just uses the word Gentile and then they leave. Like that, they're out. Verse 30. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. I, I think the phrase that this ends with is really interesting, this idea of without hindrance. Because it's not really true, is it? I mean, Paul's under house arrest. He can't just go anywhere he wants to. There, there's definitely hindrance here. He's got a Roman guard that's living with him, that's watching him 24-7, that making sure that he doesn't try to escape. He's not without hindrance. So without hindrance doesn't necessarily refer to his circumstance of being imprisoned or being in confinement. It, it really refers to the message and the mission of, that God has sent him on. In other words, God, God uses Paul's valley that some would see as a hindrances and leverages it as an opportunity to bring more people to Jesus. In these two years that Paul is in prison at Rome, he will write four letters. He will write the letters of Philippians and Colossians and Ephesians and Philemon. He will... When we read in the book of Philippians, when he writes about what's happening to him, in both chapter 1 and chapter 4, he talks about the fact that the influence of the gospel has made it into Caesar's household. Like all of the imperial guard, everyone who guards Caesar has heard the good news of the gospel. And even people in Caesar's own house have believed that Jesus is who he says he is. That's what's been happening. And not only that, but the, just the encouragement of the Roman church of watching Paul and how he lives, and he's able to welcome and encourage and continue to teach and pour into the people at Rome. You see, God takes this hindrance and turns it into an opportunity. And God often uses our valleys as opportunities to advance his kingdom. But, but here's something I think it's so important that you keep in mind. Sometimes you may not know what comes out of it. And most of the time, you aren't even thinking about what God may do with you while you're in the valley. I mean, consider Paul for a moment. 
I can guarantee that Paul had no clue that these letters that he would write to these churches while he's in prison would impact and influence generation upon generation upon generation of the church. I, I, I can guarantee that Paul, while he was going through the valley, would have no idea that in 2022, a church in Warwick, Rhode Island, would be talking about him. When we were going through our years of infertility, it's all we could see. It was all we could see. Sometimes it was hard even to get up the next day. It was really hard on our relationship. Probably the hardest season in our relationship. I had no idea what God would do with that. But, but in the years since that, what we've seen is that God has been able to take that and we're able to empathize and relate to people who are in those, that season of life in ways that we never could have had we not been there before. Sometimes having gone through the same valley as somebody else allows us to encourage others to trust God in their valley regardless of the outcome. God turns our valleys into opportunities. Remember, God is Lord of the valley. One, one last word. This is a horrible conclusion to a narrative. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, this is kind of like watching a Netflix series, and they, leave, they end on a cliffhanger, and then they cancel the series. They're like, what on earth? Like, what happens? Let me, let me fill in a few gaps for you. And this is based upon piecing together different things that Paul writes and then based upon church history. Paul, about after this first two years, Paul gets released. And, and don't, really not clear why. A lot of people think that he did appear before Nero Caesar and he was released, that he was found not guilty of everything. They couldn't find anything against him, and so he's released. And so he spent some time, and a lot of people think he may have traveled as far as Spain. Some people think he went back and encouraged other churches. It's not really clear. I mean, there's just bits and pieces of what he writes. But we do know this, that eventually he's rearrested and brought back to Rome. And he is in a much darker place then. He's not in just this house where people can come and go. And, and ultimately... While he's in that prison, he'll write three more letters. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And then, about six years after this, somewhere between five and six years after this, he's ultimately beheaded for his faith in Jesus. You know, I, I think it's quite intentional that Luke stops writing this way. And I think the reason for that is because the truth of the matter is the book of Acts is still being written today. This story of the church continues to go on. It has gone on for centuries. And it's being written in your life and in my life, in the life of South Point, in the life of the churches across this world. 
The Holy Spirit is the same Holy Spirit that we've seen moving and working in this, and it's the same Holy Spirit that works and moves in us today, and that, that journey has not stopped. In fact, it is continuing on. And, and so I think the question that we wrestle with when it comes to how this ends is what's our part in that, because all of us play a part in the ongoing writing and the story of the church. And so my encouragement to you is to continue to seek and to continue to pray. What is it, God, that you have called me to do? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this incredible book, this incredible travel journey that was written by Luke that records how things started. But Father, we know that you're not finished. And Father, thank you for including us in the work that you do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.